All right, thank you, Scott Shannon, and thanks to all of you for being with us. Here's our toll-free number. It is 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. We're all just talking before the the show starts here today. There was nothing wrong with the debate last night except the people, a couple of the people on the stage. Well, I guess that's a big part of a debate, right? Uh, Chris Christie has no business being on that debate stage. He knows he has no chance of ever winning any primary, any caucus, any place, any time, anywhere. It's just not going to happen. And we all know why he's in this race. He's in this race to be the Republican to bludgeon every opportunity he gets Donald Trump. We, we got the message, Chris. You hate Donald Trump. Whatever, wherever that beef is coming from, I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, you left office with a 14% approval rating. I can't think of anybody, even Mayor Adams, who had his lowest approval rating in New York, is at 28%. He's double what you were when you left. Um, but that's the only reason he's there. Uh, now, if Vivek Ramaswamy has not worn on you as of yet, and you watched any of that debate last night, I, I just can't take it anymore. I really, I just, he, <laughs> he's like so full of himself. Comes in with all his prepared lines, thinks he's the toughest guy out there. And um, honestly, the only two candidates, if they're really serious candidates, that are both facing an uphill challenge because of the monumental lead that Trump has in this primary. I mean, Trump Trump is running away with this. Now, I would caution people in this sense that, and we'll have our posters on later about this, is that, you know, in the case of of Iowa, it's a very, very interesting state because it's a caucus state and where, where you place in the voting matters. And, and then people get to go not once, not twice. And it all depends how many times actually, you know, caucus. Um, it's very organizational. It's like, a, it's organizationally driven. You need a good organization ground game going on there. Um, historically people have come out of nowhere and they've, they've won Iowa. Uh, Governor Huckabee, if I recall, I think he won Iowa. Rick Santorum won Iowa. Ted Cruz won Iowa. There is a very heavy uh, evangelical pre- uh, vote in Iowa. It's a great state. The people are great. It was great to be with the people there this week. And anyway, so, uh, th- you know, the debate was fine, except you have these people screaming at each other that you know have no chance of ever winning anything. And why are they even up there on the stage? I I think it could be handled a lot better and and more differently. Look, maybe I'm biased because I I did the debate, one-on-one debate with Newsom and and Governor DeSantis. I just thought it was a a better format for, for both people and the viewers and keeping it focused. You know, one other thing you got to think of too here is, You know, if you're on a debate stage with four people, six people, eight people, you're waiting minutes and minutes and minutes to get, you know, your two, your 30 seconds in. The the clock monitoring drives me up a wall, even though I did some of it during the debate I was uh, moderating last week, is at the end of the day, I kept saying, I want to let this debate breathe and take on a life of its own. That takes a little bit of cooperation between the people debating to make that happen. Uh, as I said, I didn't want to be a hall monitor because that's what you feel like. Uh, I'm not blaming any of the, the moderators that they're doing their job, but okay. Uh, okay. You know, somebody's in the middle of finishing a sentence. I did not want to stop people, even though the light was red, 
I let them finish their thoughts. I told both candidates ahead of time I would allow them to do that and to try to please not take advantage of it. And there really was only one big number I was looking at, and that was the total time that they spoke. And I think by the end, Gavin Newsom had about 90 more seconds of speaking time than Governor DeSantis did. Um, so that, that was the number that I felt would be the most fair. Um, and they look, you have candidates that come in with rehearsed lines. They have agendas. There's nothing a moderator can do about that. Um, I can't stand when moderators and this, I did not see this happen last night, but in, in the case of the town hall on CNN with Trump, you know, when the moderator thinks it's their job to fact check in real time, the person that they're interviewing, they're not running for president, but the person that is there, you're there to hear their views. The fact checking is going to happen. And so, but it doesn't have to happen in real time to the point where then the moderator or the person questioning somebody at a town hall actually becomes a story. I think that's a big mistake as well. Um, I must have done halfway decently because I didn't get the crap kicked out of me by the mob and the media, uh, which would normally be, you know, a standard operating procedure for them. I will tell you, we'll get into this later today. Um, I am still apoplectic. I am livid at what's going on, you know, since what happened earlier in the week when we had Congress call before them uh, the presidents of Harvard or Harvard, uh, MIT and uh, UPenn, and all of them refusing to say that calling for the genocide of Jews is bullying and harassment according to their codes of conduct, even going as far as to say it needs to turn to action first. Oh, okay, so uh, does that hold true for every identity group that is out there? We always talk about identity politics. We always talk about demographics when we talk about polling. We'll have our posters on today. No, well, okay, if the same things were being said, if you call for genocide of a particular race of people, if you call for genocide um, against the transgender community, if you call for genocide against the LGBTQ community, uh, or if somebody was Islamophobic, you know, you're saying that that does not call for some type of significant real punishment unless it turns into action. So that means they're willing to accept uh, people that are racist and sexist and misogynistic and homophobic and xenophobic and Islamophobic. And as long as it doesn't turn to action. Now, what's happened is the donor class at these universities and those people that, you know, put a, give them huge dollars for their endowments. I think Harvard has nearly $40 billion in endowment money. You know, this is real money, and, and that donor class has gotten really pissed off at the fact that they've been tolerant of language such as, you know, calls for antifada from the river to the sea, you know, all the anti-Semitism that we've talked about. I noticed that the UPenn president, I've noticed that Harvard's president, oh, we were taken out of context. No, they were not taken out of context. They've had such a backlash from their terrible appearance after the great job that Elise Stefanik had done on them. Uh, in the hearings this week that they had no choice but to walk it back and they're all now trying to keep their cushy jobs as president of these universities and what they should have done is is something called the right thing from the beginning and that is no you don't get to call for genocide of anybody you don't get whatever identity group it happens to be whatever religion it happens to be 
No, you don't get to call for genocide. And that in and of itself is a threat of violence. You know, all the people that are so woke that they constantly talk about a hostile, intimidating environment for students, a hostile, intimidating environment in the workplace. If you work with Linda every day, it is a hostile and intimidating environment. I can promise you that. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, that is that has been historically how they have measured these things. Um, I'll tell you one sad story as we kick off the day. This was in the Daily Wire today on the eve of the annual uh, Army-Navy. I'm not sure the date on this. Uh, football game, Joni Ernst, who served in the military for 23 years, including as a company commander in Kuwait and Iraq, fired off a letter to Biden because of reports that military families that were hoping to attend the game, they can't book reservations at local hotels because they're being used to house illegal immigrants. They can't even get a reservation, which means for a lot of people, that means they can't go to the game. Because and and this was happening all over New York. It is costing a whopping Joe Biden's eight million plus illegal immigrants are costing the taxpayers an estimated up to four hundred million dollars. I'm sorry, four hundred fifty one billion dollars a year. That's annually. Now, he gave us two trillion more in new debt last year. You know, that debt crisis just to pay off the interest on the debt this year alone is going to be over $1 trillion. We take in under $5 trillion. So before you spend a penny on national defense, before you spend a penny on Social Security or Medicare, before you spend a penny on anything, education, law enforcement, you have to pay a trillion dollars off in interest payments. That, that would be a country that is headed towards bankruptcy and fiscal insolvency. You know, by the way, just as a means of comparison, uh, the White House in February of uh, this, I guess, well, I guess it was November of this year, they announced the administration is going to develop a national strategy to counter Islamophobia. They did this after the October 7th so attack. Literally almost a month later, the White House announces via K, you know, KJP, right. the communicator in chief, that we're going to combat Islamophobia. I'm like, right. that's not the problem right now, lady. Yeah, that would be the the murder, the slaughter of innocent Israelis, which, you know, should have been a no-brainer and a layup, but whatever. Um, There is a big point to make here. You know, go back to yesterday when we were discussing. Why are you laughing? You can say it. I don't want to say it. (laughs) Why? Just because sometimes I say things and they're like really profound. You're like, yeah, so whatever. And you just keep moving. And I'm like, Well, actually, I've prepared the show and occasionally you sort of like deviate away from where I was focused. I know, I Trying to stay focused here. All right, all right. Uh, You know, when he said, well, I I don't know if I'd be running if Trump was not running. You got to be kidding me. Now, if that is not an indicator, there's something going on. And the fact that they work so hard to back that back down from that and and back off of that, I'm not sure how to interpret it. But, you know, basically what he's saying is that's the only reason. Well, we didn't have the right one yesterday. We have the right the one. The one today. you're talking about doesn't exist. No, that's right. I don't want to pay. But if, it, if that's the only reason, that's not a reason to run for president. If Donald Trump wasn't running, I wouldn't, I, I'm not sure that I'd be running. Biden's approval has now sunk to 33% in the latest issues and insight poll. 33%. No president can win with a 33% approval rating, period. Uh, but that is a, in the CNN poll too, he began the year with a 45% fake news CNN job approval rating. 
And in polls between March and early November, about 40%. And the latest survey in fake news CNN's poll, is at 37% in his approval rating. And let me tell you something, it's uh, 72% among Democrats. That is not enough to win an election. It just isn't. And as I've been telling you, he backed off his comment that he's only running to keep Trump out of the race. Um, you know, that, that just, at some point it becomes incredulous and you know that these people are just lying to you, just flat out lying all the way across the board. Uh, we have more updates on the Biden family syndicate. The House Republicans have now unveiled their resolution to authorize the Biden impeachment resolution and formally authorize what has been going on as the evidence gets stronger and stronger every single day. There was a great column by our friend Miranda Devine today. You know, Joe is a, the father of all liars. I mean, the exchange that he had, I think it was with Peter Ducey yesterday, you know, say it's a lie. It's just a lie. Uh, you know, you know, that the president's eyes narrowed and the president was asked directly. But it was actually a New York Post reporter, according to Miranda, asking the question on the issue of farm business deals, you know. And anyway, so the president gets really mad because 70 percent. The question was President Biden on Ukraine and China. There's polling that almost 70 percent, including 40 percent of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or on or unethically in regard to your family business. Listen, uh, there is polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70 percent of Americans, including 40 percent of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans admit this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not. And it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many I, of their lies. business associates? I did not. There's what? lies. Anyway, so... Um, you know, there you have it. What is he doing? I don't think anybody, I don't think Joe knows what he's doing. You know, so I, the question I'm now being asked the most is whether or not Joe's going to be on the ticket in 11 months. I don't know if he's going to be there. I don't think anybody can, anybody that says they know what's going to happen next year, they're just guessing. They're not telling you they're guessing. They'll act, you know, they'll say it with extreme confidence, but they're not confident. They're guessing. All right, occasionally something comes along in life. It's a game changer for the better, like jet engines, microwave ovens. Imagine life without our cell phones. Well, recently, our friends at Rhino Metals, they're America's leading gun safe manufacturer. They launched an amazing new gun safe design, the best I've ever seen. It falls into this category. It's a game changer. It's called Safe X, and that means you get anti-pry protection and the security of safes that cost thousands and thousands more, and you get it for... A fraction of the cost. I think it's the best price point I've ever had, and I've owned plenty of gun safes over the years. It's called Safe X. I now own two of them, and you can get it right now for seven hundred and forty-nine bucks. You're going to love this safe, and you'll be shocked at how amazing it is. And you can get Rhino's most popular full-size fire-rated Safe X gun safe, gun uh, curbside delivery to your home. Now Rhino has had their price tests uh, on video on their website. It outperforms all these brands that cost five times as much. Go look for yourself. Just go to rhinosafe.com. That's rhino, spelled like the animal, R-H-I-N-O-S-A-F-E, one word, rhinosafe.com. Look, I'm going to tell you something. The best, the best warranty, the best support, curbside delivery to your home, and it's the best safe I've had. rhinosafe.com. Go online. 
You can order there or find a dealer near you. That's Rhino, R-H-I-N-O-S-A-F-E.com.